Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Our special guest today is Carl Medeiros. He's an international expert in the field of Arab-American and Muslim-Christian relations. He's also an author and a friend of mine. So I get to talk to Carl about experiencing and offering hospitality, both in the Middle East and in America. And we'll talk about Jesus and how Jesus exemplifies and goes even beyond first century Middle Eastern hospitality. Before we're through, I'll get to read the devotion for day 27 called Jesus Eyes in the book Come Holy Spirit, a Daily Discipleship Travelogue for Easter to Pentecost from Next Step Press. I'm so glad you joined us for the podcast today as we talk about this thing called hospitality and how Jesus, who himself was sometimes a marginal character, reached out to and through marginal characters. Carl will help open up that concept of hospitality to us today. So without further ado, let's welcome Carl Medeiros to the Next Step Podcast. Carl Medeiros, welcome to the Next Step Podcast. Thank you so much, Mr. Justin Russell. <laughs> hey, it's so good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, tell us where in the world you are today. I'm in the very exotic city of Elizabeth, Colorado, which is population 3,000 just outside of Denver. And what's the weather like in Denver today? It's actually really nice. I don't know. It's probably 65 degrees and sunny. Mm. I love spring. We got some rain in Michigan today, kind of a spring rain. That's been nice too. That's cool. That's nice. Well, hey, uh, we want to talk to you today about hospitality and Jesus' heart uh, for outsiders and people who are culturally different th from him and, and also kind of how Jesus himself is kind of a cultural outsider in some respects, too. And I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to than you, Carl. Uh, you're <laughs> such an outsider, you. <laughs> yeah. Am I the outsider reaching insiders or am I the insider reaching outsiders? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's kind of confusing, right? Uh, I think it, it was like that for Jesus too. So that's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you got a trip coming up, I understand, right? I am. I'm going on, uh, well, it's in about exactly two weeks to Beirut, Lebanon for seven days. We used to live there. We lived there for 12 years. You know, here in America, we're the insiders. Like we, we know what we're all about. We have maybe a little bit of our own language and <clears throat> and we felt comfortable and confident in maybe church settings or whatever, Christian settings. But living in Beirut amongst Arabs and amongst Muslims, mostly Muslim Arabs, for 12 years, we were always the outsider. We were the only Americans. Uh, sometimes we were the only Christians. We were definitely the only followers of Jesus, probably. Even if there were some cultural Christians, we would often mm -hmm. be the only ones actually trying to follow the ways of Jesus. So yeah, much of our lives, we have felt like outsiders. So anyway, I'm going to Beirut in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, that's kind of gets gets at what I wanted to talk about today, too. So uh, when you were in the Middle East, when you were living over there, how did you experience hospitality as an outsider in the Middle East? What's what's amazing is that, uh, you know, we went there with, of course, I, I'll, I'll just say it, the fairly arrogant, I'm an American, I'm a Christian, we know all truth, but we will help you, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. kind of attitude. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I mean, we we didn't we did know some things that were helpful for that part of the world. That is actually true. Um, but man, this is one thing. This this is one thing that the Arabs taught us in spades was hospitality and and Muslims. So you know, just a little FYI sidebar. 
you know, most Muslims aren't Arab. Most Muslims are Asian, they're Pakistanis or Indian or Indonesian, but most Arabs are Muslim. I think about 90% of all Arabs are Muslim. So, you know, it's a little bit of a difference. There could be Arab Christians as well, but whether they were Arab Christians or Arab Muslims, they just knew hospitality. I don't know if it's, I mean, I actually don't know why, uh, you know, I don't know if it's been in their culture, obviously forever, but you know, why exactly are they so good at hospitality? You know, and you know, this will freak out some of your listeners, but, um, I think you'd be disappointed, Justin, if I didn't say it, you know, freak people out, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, Islam is actually quite a religion of hospitality. So hmm. hospitality is built into Islam. And I would say Christianity, I don't, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that word, but just historically, the religion of Christianity has also been big on hospitality. We're not always good at it, you know, maybe today or whatever, but mm-hmm. historically, mm-hmm. Christians have been good at it. And Muslims and Islam teaches it. And so, I mean, even it's famous that, you know, Bedouin, hardcore, nomadic, camel herding, camel riding Bedouins in the Saudi desert, you know, they would have a, maybe a tribal enemy. And at that tribal enemy, they found him and he was sick or he had fallen off his camel and broke his leg and he was laying there. Uh, They were obligated, they were obliged to house him, feed him, water him, better than they did themselves for up to Mm -hmm. as long as it takes for them to get healthy. And even if a warring tribe was caught and, uh, you know, they, they captured some, they were required for at least three days before they did anything, put them on trial or whatever they're going to do with them to treat them with hospitality. So it is ingrained in the Middle Eastern culture and even the Islamic culture. And we learned a lot about that uh, from our time there. So just kind of practically day to day, how did you experience that hospitality? What did that look like? You know, we would, again, especially as foreigners, we would uh, be somewhere maybe outside of Beirut or even just in our neighborhood in Beirut. And we would just get invited in. Like we're walking down the street, going to the supermarket to buy some rice, you know, <laughs> trying to think of all the stereotypes here. And, uh, and that probably is what we were buying. And somebody would just yell out from, I mean, literally we had this happen a lot. People would just be standing in their door or sitting out front and they'd say, Tfaddle. And Tfaddle in Arabic kind of means come on over or, hey, you, what's happening? Or, you know, something kind of like, it's a real informal term, but, you know, or sit down and eat with me. And, you know, you'd say hi and you usually say shukran, which means thank you, but kind of, you know, no thanks anyway, but thank you. And mm-hmm. they say, no, 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 really, really, Anjad, Fadl, you know, really uh, come in. And then sometimes we would take them up on it. If we didn't want to, we wouldn't have to, but we would say, okay. And we'd like walk over and we'd have coffee or tea or whatever and sit down with them and meet the whole family. The next thing you know, uh, the wife's disappeared and and then we're getting ready to go. And they're like, no, 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 you can't go now. It's, you know, it's only been two hours. You can't go now. <laughs> you know, Mrs. My, my wife has just killed the chicken out back and, <laughs> and, and there's dinner, you know, and then yeah. dinner isn't really ready for two more hours. So four hours into being there, then you have dinner, which is like a huge feast with a five course meal. And that's three hours long. And by that time, it's, you know, 11 at night and you're really tired and ready to go home. <laughs> And you're wondering, huh, I don't know, is this hospitality good or are they yeah. trying to kill me? <laughs> For all this food, maybe it's like a secret way of killing Americans. Right, right. right. 
Well, well that's great. There, there's a couple of things that just jump out at me in that story, Carl. And, and one is I'd, I had a friend, a German exchange student. Actually, I knew him when I was a German exchange student, but he told the story of being an exchange student in America. And, and like somebody in high school would ask him, hey, hi, you know, they'd say, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. And the first like four or five times people said that he actually thought that they meant it. Right. And therefore he was like, oh, wow, you know, thanks. I'm kind of, and by that point, they've not like gone down the hallway. He's very confused by that. Yeah. So what, when we say, hey, how are you doing? We don't mean, when we say, hey, right. come on over, we actually don't mean it. Right. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's some of that in that part of the world too. There's some of that where it's, it is a polite it is a polite thing to say. So some of that yeah. is also true there. And, you know, and not every single Arab is wildly hospitable. Some are, sure. you know, sure. some are rude and not nice like people here, you know, might mm-hmm. be too. So, but generally speaking, the culture and the people there are of that ilk. They they are hospitable just kind of by nature. And another thing that we experienced, Justin, which is really cool and always confuses us when we when we have dinners here in the States, is you always, 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 always make like three times more food. So if you know you have six people total for dinner, you and your wife, and let's say two other couples, there's six people. You know, here in the States, it's it's kind of waste not, want not. So we we think it through and we think how much do we need for six people? And you know, you want to make sure you have enough, maybe, but but there, I mean, at least double and honestly, often like triple what you would need. And you just keep insisting they eat and insisting they eat. And so everybody is completely you know, filled to the gill by the time you're done. And then you have leftovers and you send it home with the people. Wow. And then, you know, and so we, we're always surprised. We'll go to somebody's house and it's very spark. First of all, in the States, we seldom get invited into somebody else's home for a home cooked meal. Hmm. It's hmm. fairly rare. I think the Midwest is probably better at that. Justin, don't you think? In the South, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think the South mm-hmm. and the Midwest are maybe a little more hospitable in the States as cultures. Mm-hmm. But here mm-hmm. in Colorado, I mean, we have great friends. We've lived here like forever, but uh, we are seldom... Now, we get invited out. We go out to dinner with people. Uh, we invite people to our house all the time. We cook dinners and it always surprises them. They're like, wow, you actually you actually cook a <laughs> meal? Like, yeah, we, like, from actual ingredients, we cooked it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's possible. So, yeah, anyway. That's good. That, that reminds me, uh, that reminds me actually of one of Jesus' uh, appearances in the Gospels, like at the very end in, in John after the resurrection. And he's like on the seashore, remember the, the catch of fish. And, and they finally bring in this miraculous hall and they recognize this, the risen Christ. And there's Jesus. He's like, hey, bring some of that fish over. I'm doing breakfast. And he's he's like been grilling fish for them. He's make, uh, got a homemade right. breakfast of fish. Like it's just ingrained. So that's kind of part what I wanted to know from you too, knowing that culturally the Middle East has got this kind of hospitality hardwired into the culture. And it seems like it's been there for a long time. As you read the Bible, as you look at the gospels, as you look at Jesus, how, in what ways is Jesus maybe typically Middle Eastern hospitality? And in what ways does Jesus maybe uh, is not so typical in his hospitality kind of from a Mideastern cultural perspective? Well, you know, I think the the typical part, in, <clears throat> and you know, it, I always feel like it should go without saying, but maybe it, do, maybe it does need to be said, but, you know, Jesus was Middle Eastern, right? <laughs> yeah, say that. That's good. Yeah. 
He was, I mean, some, it does kind of surprise people sometimes when I just say it. I'll, you know, I often like to say Jesus was a brown skinned, probably short, hook nosed Palestinian Jew. Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, from a region called Palestine by the Romans, and he was Jewish. So he wasn't a Christian. He was Jewish. Right. He right. Was, he wasn't American, which is the biggest shock to some Americans. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we know he wasn't American, but we kind of forget, you know, and, and he wasn't. Yeah. You know, was it white skinned and didn't have blue eyes and blonde hair for sure? You know, yeah. In most of our pictures in stained glass, that's kind of what he looks like. That he's kind of Norwegian Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. So you know, so the fact that Jesus would be hospitable, coming from that region, and and you know, hospitality is not unique to the Middle East. You know, I think we we struggle a little bit with hospitality, but not Jesus. He was he was from that world, and so you see it manifesting partly just in how he's often having dinners. I mean, you know, the wedding at Cana, that mm-hmm. wasn't like, a, it wasn't an American wedding that took an hour and a half. It probably <laughs> would have been a three-day wedding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's reclining at this table and reclining at that table, and he's having dinner here and dinner there. And he gets accused, rightly accused, by the religious leaders of eating, being friends with, and eating with sinners, tax collectors and sinners, you know? Mm-hmm. So and that's, I'm assuming that's because he was, and he, and, yeah, right. you know, and I love the King James that he was accused of being a wine bibber. He was bibbing, <laughs> he was bibbing wine. One of those wine bibbers. One of, you know, those wine bibbers. And, yeah. you know, uh, and he did. And I'm assuming it wasn't, it wasn't Welch's grape juice. It was actually mm-hmm. wine and he bibbed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a great word? <laughs> You know, I, I think you see Jesus eating a lot. Uh, there's a great book by your, my good friend, Conrad Gimpf called, mm. uh, uh, oh, shoot, help me out. Uh, something about the table of Jesus. Uh, yeah, the Mealtime meal Habits of the Messiah. Thank you. Mealtime Habits of the Messiah. That's it. I knew, I knew you'd remember it. And that's a great book that's about this, this topic, you know, how Jesus was often eating with people. And he was, and, and that's like, you know, you almost can't have hospitality without food, right? They go mm. together, don't you think? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where you see the typical thing of Jesus where, you know, he's letting people serve him, you know, whether it's Mary and Martha or he's at the Pharisee's house and the woman of the woman of ill repute, you know, right. breaks the jar and anoints his feet. But, you know, he's there having a meal and he's at their place and they're his friends' place, he didn't have a physical house, it seems, but his friends had houses. Mm-hmm. It seemed to host a lot of parties. Yeah, and he tells he tells a lot of stories about parties. Parties are in, in the parables and That's is teaching true. a lot, the feasts yep. and banquets and yep. who's invited and who's coming and who's who who declines last minute and all that. Exactly, exactly. So I would say that's probably all the the typical part. You kind of asked the two-part question. I think mm-hmm. the atypical part of it is <clears throat> it is, I think I already said it, but that he practiced hospitality with outsiders, with, mm. with you know, he, so he was, he was a ra- he was a rabbi, or he was a budding rabbi, or he was about to be a rabbi, or so you know, he was on that rabbi track for sure. Mm-hmm. People saw him that way, and so for him, you know, a natural progression probably could have been that he would have become a Pharisee or a Sadducee or some kind of a teacher of the law in that rabbinical tradition, but he always stayed. He was kind of again, he was. Amazing at being an insider outsider on both sides of the thing, you know. So, yeah. you know, uh, as as a teacher of the law, as a rabbi, you know, a, 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 he was obviously a noted religious scholar and 
and speaker already and had, you know, drew crowds, you know, they would have thought a guy like that should keep his nose clean and, and stay out of, you know, bad places and don't hang yeah. out with bad people for sure. But he was always in trouble with, you know, for hanging out with bad people. Yeah. So he extended his hospitality very clearly to the kinds of people that you wouldn't normally do that with. And I think that's what's really cool about Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think of Jesus, uh, whom we know as kind of the center of our uh, of our belief and the center of our faith, the center of creation, uh, and, and think of him as being kind of a marginal character too. That is kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Uh, I've got a friend, Leo Sanchez. He wrote the intro to this Come Holy Spirit book for me. Uh, And and he said in his book, Sculptor Spirit, Jesus knows what it's like to be a vulnerable outsider. Raised in Nazareth of Galilee, Jesus was a marginalized Jew. Jesus was not the right kind of Jew to be the Messiah. Jesus had an accent. Mm. And the disciples share in their Lord's own marginality. And God surprises us by using the lowly as instruments of his salvation. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting, interesting take on you know, Galilee of the Gentiles, right? It's it's that place that's really so it's so close to outsiders that you're probably also an outsider too. And and right. Peter shows up and they can tell he's Galilean because he talks funny. And right. Jesus probably talked funny too. You know, right. I mean, maybe his accent was Egyptian, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, I mean, his accent most probably was from the north, just from, you know, from yeah. the north. And and that was a place of the outsiders. I mean, he should he should have been from Jerusalem or Right. Yeah, he should have been. If if he really wanted to be like, you know, right. the really kosher Messiah, that'd be he'd have got to be from Jerusalem or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he hung out in Samaria. He talked to the Samaritan woman, but he also Yeah, what's up with that? You know, and he he go I mean it's a woman uh, single, divorce, 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 you know, right, 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 right. And, and, you know, and I just love it when, you know, he could have, when he was coming down to Jerusalem the final time, the, the straight path from Nazareth or anywhere up north by the Sea of Galilee would have been to go through Samaria, but they never did that. They would always go around down through the valley, uh, down through Jericho and back up into Jerusalem to avoid Samaria. But Jesus didn't do that. And he, and he very close, you know, he acted like he, intentionally wanted to go to, through Samaria yeah. because one is he wasn't afraid because I guess he's Jesus. So he has, yeah. you know, he has that card. That he has <laughs> and, you know, but then the human part of him, I think just maybe he wanted the shorter walk. Maybe he wanted to hang out with some, he, he wanted to rub shoulders with Samaritans, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. He wasn't afraid of that at all. He, he for sure was not afraid of hanging out with the wrong, the wrong crowd. And I, and I just, I think that's a huge deal. If we want the the good news of Jesus that we that we know about, that we hopefully have experienced, if we want that news to spread, almost by definition, you have to hang out with people who don't know that. Yeah, people would be outsiders in our Christian world, and so right. otherwise, we're just talking to each other, preaching in the choir all the time, which we we tend to do. Well, well, there's the two sides of that again, Carl, the, the, the re- relating to people who are on the outside and putting yourself in a position where you also are an outsider. I mean, that's another right. one of our fears is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear language in the Christian church in North America, in America today. And a lot of that fear language sounds to me like it's fear of being marginalized or not being at the center of power. And man, you look at the people Jesus uses, well, first of all, he's an outsider, but then 
think of Pentecost. The complaint is, where are these schmucks from? Galilee? Who do they think that, you know, it's the same deal. Just his followers that he uses are also, the Samaritan woman goes back into the town and brings the crowd out with her to meet Jesus. Uh, so he not only reaches a Samaritan woman, he uses a Samaritan woman to reach other people. So right, right. being open to outsiders and being open to be being an outsider. Yeah, that's mm. right. That, that, that makes, I wanted to ask you, because when you were talking about hospitality and, and Jesus, there, there seems to be two different things going on here with hospitality as well. One is the actual inviting people in to your house and feeding them. And yeah. the other side of hospitality seems to be you accepting the invitation to go, to go wherever they are you know, going to feed you and spend four or six or eight hours or whatever it is uh, with them too. So uh, thinking yeah. through this idea of, of the spirit shaping in us this heart of Jesus for hospitality and a heart for people who aren't like us. I, I bet you have a story or two. So I wanted to ask you maybe about a time when you either accepted or extended hospitality or maybe one of each in, in an unusual or kind of uncomfortable situation. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many. Um, right, right. And it's not because we're so wonderful. It's just, <laughs> it's just because you know. I mean, we, particularly when we lived in the Middle East, but also here in the States, for whatever reason, and, you know, part of this is my wife Chris, who I wish was on this podcast mm-hmm. because she had she had to be somewhere when we we're recording it, uh, but she would have a lot to add. She she's very hospitable, and her her background is Greek. Her dad came from Greece, and and so are all of her cousins, aunts and uncles still live in Greece. And I think just that international warm Mediterranean climate thing that seeped into mm-hmm. her family makes her naturally, like our first thought is uh, most nights of the week, I would say, I would say four or five nights of the week, um, who should we have over? Mm-hmm. And it's usually not who should we who should we go out with, mm-hmm. like meet at a restaurant and have dinner, which we'd like to do that too, but it's who should we have over? And, you know, and then we just think of a couple of couples that would mix well or obviously are just our friends and we, we invite them over. So so who are some of the like most unlikely people you've extended an invitation to or an unlikely situation? Well, I mean, I would say like in Beirut, uh, one of the times that was, you know, a little stressful, frankly, was, you know, during Ramadan, which is the month of fasting for Muslims, at the end of each day, they break the fast with a meal called iftar. And if you've been around Muslims at all, you would have heard of the word iftar. Iftar mm-hmm. is the the meal at the end of the day when, you know, like the mosque, the, the call to prayer goes off at whatever, you know, at sunset. <clears throat> and then you hear the call to prayer. And man, you are sitting down ready to eat because you haven't eaten or drank a thing all day. Yeah. Right, literally. So, so literally, they're usually sitting there uh, with spoon in hand, and they usually start with a certain kind of soup. And it's a very, it's a fairly specific meal. It starts with a certain kind of soup, and then it goes to the salad, a certain kind of salad, and then it goes to the main course, and then it comes back out. And you know, it has a whole rhythm to it. Anyway, Chris decided to cook a Lebanese meal, Lebanese iftar, for seven of my friends, uh, all guys, and they were all political leaders. They were members of parliament, the mayor of Beirut, um, (laughs) top leaders in that world. And we had them to our home. And I kept telling her, I I, literally, I kept saying, I kept saying, are you sure 
you want to do this? Because this is like a very specific. She's like, oh, yeah, we can do it. So she, you know, she figured out what to do and asked some neighbors some questions. And they all thought it was kind of funny we were doing that. And the guys all came and we're sitting down and she puts the soup in front of everybody. And the call to prayer goes off and man, they dove in. And the first, the, the mayor, he took one bite. He, go, he goes, oh, it's too hot. <laughs> and we're like, what? And you know, later we realized that, you know, you don't want to serve the soup very hot because they want to dive in and start eating, right? You know, they don't want to be blowing on their spoon right, right, because right. they're hungry. And so through the night, there were probably like 10 things that different people critiqued my wife's cooking on. And by the end of the night, she was basically in tears and thought she you know, the whole thing was lost. And, and then we hung out and we, we actually had a little study. We went, we were going through the gospel of Luke together. So we did that and everybody went home and nobody ever apologized. Nobody ever came back and said, Oh, you know, by the way, that was really amazing that you, uh, that you did that. And, you know, sorry, I was a little cranky about it. You know, nobody ever said that. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was, it was an ama- amazing learning experience for us. And it was a great experience. I mean, it actually did take our relationship with those guys, took took mm-hmm. our relationship one or two or 10 notches deeper, even though they, they never really acknowledged the meal. Yeah, but I think just that we did it, they did recognize that. Uh, somebody mm-hmm. did say, wow, this is the first time an American or a Christian has cooked iftar for us. And then wow. they all kind of laughed and were like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then they... You know, about the food. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, you know, that's one. And we've done the same thing here in the States. I mean, just, you know, regular old suburbia outside Denver, you know, people tend to kind of stay to themselves, especially here in the West. And, you know, we, we're polite. We say hi when we go get the mail at the mailbox and whatever. And, you know, over the fence, we, you know, greet each other as we're mowing the yard or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, people don't invite people in, but we we just always have. We have Christmas parties. We invite them over. We have any excuse to have a party. We invite them over. We make up we make up a holiday to have them over. We have meal. You know, we have meals. We cook meals. Sometimes we're lazy and we order Domino's pizza. I mean, you know, we're we're not we're not like this amazing super couple that has unlimited energy. Sometimes it's a busy long day, and you're tired, and you you order pizza. You know, yeah, yeah. So, which is just totally fine. So we've done a lot of that here in the States. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't go well. Sometimes you invite somebody over and they say they're going to come and then they don't show up or they just say no, or they just ignore the invitation. I mean, there's all kinds of risk, by the way, attached to hospitality because you're putting yourself out there and it doesn't always go well. And that's okay. Hmm. Can you, can you think of a time when you accepted an invitation that felt kind of risky to accept? Uh, I mean, for hospitality, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've been in the home of Hezbollah leaders and Hamas, the leaders of Hamas and, and the Palestinian territories. And, uh, you know, we used why, to, why would you, why would you go? Why would, why, why would well, you accept the invitation? Well, they invited us and usually I'm hungry. So <laughs> I mean, I got to eat somewhere. So. <laughs> I mean, it might be some spiritual reason. I mean, but most food. Of, yeah, so I'm just hungry. <laughs> yeah, good. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think we just kind of think uh, it's funny. It's good for you to ask and kind of probe a little bit. Cause I mean, it's, it, it all seems obvious to me. 
Mm. Like if somebody invites you over, you just say yes. You don't you don't think about it. You don't think whether you like them or not. That's irrelevant. Mm. If they invite you over or invite you out or invite you anywhere, then you say yes. And and there was one time we were just getting to know the leader of the Hezbollah in the Bekaa Valley. So kind of central Lebanon. It's it's a valley between the Lebanon mountains and the Syrian mountains, right on the border of Syria. And that's it was the Hezbollah stronghold stronghold called Baalbek. It's kind of been the Hezbollah headquarters for many years. Um, and one of the top sheikhs, a sheikh is a, just a, a leader, a religious leader, or a tribal mm-hmm. leader. In this case, a religious, a Shiite Muslim religious leader. Um, I don't know. Boy, we got to know him because we went to a school one day and did this little this little program with some friends for the kids of this school in Baalbek. And one of the kids said, uh, my dad heard you were coming. He will, he would like to meet you. Can you follow me to our house afterwards? Again, that could, that could sound sketchy, I suppose. If you're <laughs> skeptic. But we said, of course. So we followed this kid and it was the head of the Hezbollah. And he wanted to meet us because he wanted to know who we were and what we were doing in this town. Yeah. So we told him who we were. We're following Jesus, and we followed him. Followed him here today, and it's great. And we like this place. And thank you for having us over. And the next thing you know, we're eating. You know, the next time, and the next time, probably the third time we visited him, we went to visit, and we took our kids. That it was the first time we took our three kids. So it was Chris and I and our three kids, and we went to his sister's house and her husband and their family, and we're sitting around in the living room. And uh, he goes, oh, he said, stand. He said, Carl, Christine, stand up, stand up. So we stood up off the couch, and he lifted up the like the seat of the couch. It lifted up. It was a it was an empty container. It was a container under there, and there was an RPG, a rocket launcher, <laughs> under there, <laughs> under where we were sitting. And he goes, here, watch this. And he pulled it out, and he goes, come, come, come into my bedroom. And so we followed him into the bedroom, and he opened the window, and he goes, watch. And he shot it. <laughs> he blew up a tree in his backyard. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> we were just like, what? <laughs> well, first of all, blew our eardrums out because he had his house. It was a rocket launcher. <laughs> and he hit he hit a tree and it literally blew the tree up. And he was so pleased with himself. He thought that was the funniest thing ever. And we were just like in shock and our <laughs> Our kids didn't know what to say. And then we went and had dinner with them. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> that's how that worked. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. That's, yeah, this a party trick. That's good. Let's pull out the rocket. The old the RPG. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, pull up the tree with your RPG before dinner trick. Oh, man. <laughs> Crazy situation. See what saying yes will get you into? That's, yeah, uh, yeah. That's exactly. really cool. Yeah, and you always say no. Uh, you know, the thing about God in our lives and how he works in us is – you know, he loves us even even when we're stupid and we don't take risk yeah. and we don't go on an adventure and we don't say yes. He still loves us the same. Yeah. So you can, in fact, sit in your home and never invite anybody to your house. You can do that. And God will still love you exactly the same as he does otherwise, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's just that you're missing out. You're missing yeah. out stuff. You really are. It's not, I don't know that God's missing out on anything, but you're missing out on this grand adventure I mean, maybe there's an RPG under one of your neighbor's couches. <laughs> and you would never know unless you know. accepted the invitation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, that, I love that. That language of adventure is, is really important to me too. And it, you started 
in the podcast, you talked about going over to the Middle East, going over to Lebanon and Beirut as the guy who knew everything coming to rescue people. Mm-hmm. And the way you said it, and I know your story enough to know that that changed for you. And as you talk about hospitality, I just wonder how did that change? And, and was hospitality at all a part of that change for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, we had a kind of a key moment in our lives, probably three months after we moved to Beirut. You know, we moved there with two little baby girls. Our third, uh, our son, Jonathan, was born there. But Anna and Marie were 17 months old and three months old when we moved there. And and I kind of landed with this lifelong dream of, you know, leading the whole Middle East to Jesus single-handedly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was ho- so happy for God that he finally had me now <laughs> because all these years, what, what was yeah. he doing without me? You know, I mean, who knows how he even survived. But, uh, you know, so I had this terrible, you know, I'm just gone, like, just gone all the time. And I'm living my dream and I've been a horrible husband and a horrible father. And, and you know, one night, I mean, I may have known it later, maybe, maybe not even have known it because Chris was always amazing. And she, you know, she somehow... Yeah you know, let me do, I don't think she encouraged me to be gone all that time, but she let me. So one night I'm out with people leading somebody to Jesus probably or something. And and my wife's at home and we had no food and we had no money. Our first few years, we had no money. Hmm. And so we would literally run out of money down to zero and run out of any food to eat. And this was one of those nights. And she was literally with Anna and Marie, our two little babies on the, you know, the floor of our little apartment in Beirut by herself crying. And I'm sure wondering why in the world did we come here and what's wrong with my husband. Mm. And there was a knock on the door and she opened the door and a neighbor lady showed up and she was carrying this huge platter, like a huge platter of homemade Lebanese food. And if you've had Lebanese food, you know, it's like some of the best food in the world. Mm -hmm. And she just said, she goes, I don't know why, but I thought maybe you, needed this. And of course, Chris just started crying and, and, and took, took that, you know, as a sign from God. And that happened again and again and again in our lives where actually the Lebanese who we thought we were helping took, mm. took care of us. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it did change. It, it changed, it changed for me thinking that I'm, first of all, that I'm in charge of anything. Hmm. I have that much to offer to, being maybe a little more humble and saying, you know, maybe there's things that we offer each other. Maybe maybe I can offer them some things about Jesus that would be helpful for their lives. I think we did. But there's so much about life and family and hospitality and love and care and commitment and faithfulness that they can teach me that it probably equals out. Uh, Chris always says if she ever wrote a book, which she should, it would be called I Met Jesus in Beirut. Mm. And I think that's, I think there's a lot of truth to that for both of us. Hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for sharing part of your story. Um, I'm, I'm imagining someone sitting at home in, in America, uh, maybe in Colorado or maybe in Michigan or maybe somewhere else, but listening to this podcast. And I can imagine somebody hearing some of those stories and wanting to experience that, wanting to be like that, you know, that talk of adventure is something we do around here a lot. And um, this whole, this whole come Holy Spirit discipleship travel log has been about the spirit shaping us. So I, I trust that the spirit's doing some work in people's hearts and lives. It, 
what what would you say someone who wants to either accept hospitality or extend hospitality what what's the next step for some american man or woman to experience that kind of hospitality today honestly i think it's two things i think one is we have to get to know jesus i mean mm. he, he's our model in everything if you want to be a church planter it's Jesus that you should study, not Paul. The ultimate mm. church planter is Jesus. Mm. I mean, not that you shouldn't study Paul, but I mean, yeah. Jesus is still the ultimate. Uh, if you want to be a pastor and think pastoral thoughts, study the life of Jesus. If you want to be an evangelist, it's Jesus. If you want to be a good worker and be a responsible man or woman that provides for their family, Jesus. If you know mm. what, whatever, whatever the question is, if you want to be an astrophysicist, Jesus. I mean, he's hmm. the one that created all that stuff. So you know, any any answer to any question has to start and end with with the name of Jesus, honestly. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise, I think it doesn't make sense. And so, I think if we want to learn hospitality, rather than, rather than like reading a book about hospitality or or thinking about it or trying really hard just to you know make some friends awkwardly, yeah. I think the first thing you do is you study the life of Christ, and you do that mostly by. I mean, it's not rocket science. There's four books that talk about him a lot. It's Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and I'm sure you've all read them. That's everybody has listened to this, but read them again, and maybe read them with this in mind. Yeah, maybe go through it and just think about all the times Jesus gave or received hospitality, the times that didn't work out or didn't seem to work out very well, the times that did work out. Why was that? Or about the disciples and their hospitality, you know, just do a whole study through the four gospels, and you know, maybe you spend a year doing that. I think that could change all of our lives, by the way. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Um, and then, secondly, I think you just have to—I would just say—make a decision to take a couple of risks, and risks are called risk because they're risky. Hmm. <laughs> That was profound, wasn't it? <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Yeah. I don't think you're supposed to use the word when you define the yeah, word. You know, right? But, right. You got it. So in other words, you you could take a risk and invite your neighbor for dinner and they don't come and then it feels awkward. So that could happen. Yeah. But generally, I think just think of some things that you've always almost done but didn't do or that yeah. you haven't done but you know that you could do. Maybe it's a work colleague and maybe it's just inviting up. A person out for coffee and, and you pay. By the way, hospitality requires you to pay. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. split the bill. That's that's weird. You don't, you don't <laughs> wait. You don't wait when the check hang you know comes and then act like you're digging for your wallet while the other guy you grab the check. In fact, go to the waitress before she comes over with a check and give her your credit card before it comes over. Yeah. Yeah. That's called hospitality. I think you bought the very first time I met you. I think you bought me lunch. I think. Did I? I think that's a little, yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah hospitality. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I probably did. We, we tend to do that. We tend to be the first to to pay, and, and people notice, and people appreciate it, and and even if they don't notice and they don't appreciate it, it's good for you. It's it breaks yeah. it breaks stinginess. It breaks the the greed and the lust for, you know, money and power and control that all of us struggle with. It breaks that when you always offer to pay, when you have people to your house and they say, what can we bring? Say nothing. Hmm. If they still bring something, great. But you work hard to prepare the whole meal and you cook it. And that's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to God. Hmm. I think it's a beautiful sacrifice. It's a sweet smelling aroma hmm. of the Lord when we, when we cook, um, you know, and then send them home with leftovers. And send them home with the leftovers. At least, at least offer. I mean, we always do that. It's so fun. It's just ingrained in us. We're 
we're bagging stuff up at the end of the night and and then we just dole it out to the different people that came and they just they're always like, Oh, well, no, 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 you you keep it. Like that never even happened to them before. And and it just it just opens up it opens up something. If I was going to be all hyper spiritual, which I'm, I'm really not like at all, but it, for some reason that comes to my mind, it almost like opens up uh, someone spiritual, opens up someone in the spirit world and the heavenlies. There's something mm. least that's really positive in you, and it may or may not affect the people you hosted powerfully. But I think it, I think it changes us and, and much of what we do. That's what we want. We want to be changed into Christ's image over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that does it. Amen. Amen. So do something risky. Uh, We like to talk about running an experiment or taking a small next step. Just try to either extend or receive hospitality. Look for it in your week. Seeing it is the first thing and then taking a risk. And hey, if it works out horribly, you will be in good company. It has also worked out horribly for Carl Medeiros. So you're going to be okay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to I, I want to read the devotion. It's on page 95 of the book. It's on day 27. And Carl, I'm going to ask you at the very end, just any final thought, but I'm going to read this one devotion and then any final thought from you and, and, and we'll be done. So this is okay. uh, called Jesus Eyes. It's on page 95 of the Come Holy Spirit book. The disciples made it back to the well just in time to see a Samaritan woman going off in amazement to fetch her friends. They offer Jesus some of their kosher takeout, but Jesus says he has food they know nothing about, which causes some concern, since they are deep in enemy territory and one does not simply eat from a street vendor if lunch can make you spiritually unclean. But Jesus wasn't talking about food food. Jesus was talking about the satisfaction that comes from doing what you are designed to do. My food is to do the delight of the one who sent me. While the disciples are still chewing on that statement, the questionable, unclean enemy outsider woman shows back up with a crowd of her closest friends. Okay, wait. She didn't have any friends, remember? She somehow went to people who looked down on her and shamed her and threatened her and told and she told them about Jesus. Seeing the crowd, Jesus gives his disciples a new lens, a new frame a new way of seeing and evaluating and experiencing the situation in front of them. Jesus clearly emphasizes the new kind of filter the kingdom of God requires. Look, he says, lift up your eyes and see. While the disciples have eyes to see only unclean enemy outsiders who threaten to contaminate them, Jesus sees with new gospel shades. Jesus sees ripe sheaves ready and waiting to be brought in, in where they belong. See with new eyes. Trade out your old paradigm of in versus out, us versus them. Pick up Jesus' metaphor and view your world through a new lens. The fields are ripe for harvest. Carl, any closing thoughts? Wow, that was good. Um, <laughs> not really. That was that got me. That was really good. I think mm-hmm. let that just sit. That's that's such a powerful. That's by the way one of my favorite passages. There's so much richness in that. Oh yeah, me too. So many ways. Oh my goodness. And uh, yeah, no, I, 
I think we've said what needs to be said. And, and I think if we, if we take Jesus at his word and take him seriously and get to know him in very real and tangible ways, but we, we have a little Thursday night group here at our house. Every, every Thursday night, Chris and I cook dinner and then we invite kind of random people over like neighbors. And then people we just met at the grocery store, like literally, and we do it every single Thursday night. Nice. And it's from one couple to three or four couples. And then we just have a thought about Jesus and like one thought, like just a really simple thought, like for 30 seconds, and then we talk about it. And that's something that you could try doing too. And there's just so many things you could do and it has to fit your personality, has to fit your mm-hmm. style and, and, and let it, let it do that. And don't feel guilty about it when you don't do it and relax. It's okay. And God's kingdom carries on without us. Mm-hmm. You know, God actually doesn't need us to be in charge of his, his kingdom expanding. But it's just good for us. It will expand our hearts when you when you increase your hospitality, I think. Mm. Awesome. Thanks for taking time. As you're getting ready to go to, to Lebanon, thanks for taking time to, to join us today, Carl. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you. You're awesome. Hey, so good to talk to you. Talk okay. to you soon. See you. Thanks. Bye. I love talking to Carl Medeiros. If you enjoyed that conversation, you might enjoy several of his books. I'll put links to them in the description of this podcast. He's written something called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism. That's one of my favorites and the the first time I got to know Carl. He's also written things like 42 Seconds, The Jesus Model for Everyday Interactions, or Adventures in Saying Yes. In all of those works, Carl shares some of his own personal stories and that perspective that Jesus doesn't need us to be in charge of his kingdom. But when we open our hearts through hospitality, Jesus changes something in us as well. As usual, today's episode was made possible in part by Next Step patrons. In fact, uh, on our Next Step Patreon site, you'll be able to download for free a Bible study and sermon series related to Carl's book, 42 Seconds. I'll link to that in the description of the podcast, as well as to some of the other work I've done in related to things Carl has written in in the past. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I love taking the next step with you and introducing you to Carl Medeiros is a a joy. Can't wait to see what Jesus is up to in your life as you look for ways that he's inviting you through the power of the Spirit to step into that risk of either receiving or extending an invitation. God bless your hospitality this week, and we'll see you next time at Next Step Press.